You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today is Zach Schrader. Now, Zach is a Minnesota native, but he is branching out west this year. He's going on his first western big game hunt, and I'm excited to pick his brain about what he's been doing in preparation, how you could be doing the same things, things to think about that, you know, not everybody does. When you when you grow up maybe duck and deer hunting, and then all of a sudden you're traveling out west to giant country, you know, I, for years, I didn't sit with binoculars in the tree stand. It's just not something that I did. And to think about the optics that you need, the gear, the footwear, all of that stuff, I hope is going to be beneficial to you guys. So we're going to dive into this episode with Zach. And I just got to say, it's, it's amazing when I get to talk to people and hear their story start to finish. And I hope you guys enjoy that as well. When, when you hear them preparing for a hunt and then hopefully following up this episode will be a success story or a trial and error or learning experience that Zach and I talk about postseason. So I'm really pumped about this one. Let's jump in with Zach right now. You're listening to The Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different up there. I've harvested 26 big game animals. You can fool their eyes, but you can't fool their nose. 300 yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way. It's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today, I've got Zach Schrader. Zach, what is going on, man? How's it going, Dan? Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on here. Dude, absolutely. I'm really excited about this one. We've been talking for a few minutes all about, you know, what your hunting story is and what you're planning on doing this fall. And this is going to be a great episode. I can already tell. We've already been like laughing. I'm getting giddy, like just in excitement for hunting season. And so, oh, so we're going to... Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good one. Um, before we jump into all that though, I want to give you a chance to share with the listeners a little bit about yourself, maybe where you're from, uh, how you got into hunting, things like that. Okay. So I grew up uh Painesville, Minnesota, small town, like twenty five hundred people or so, where almost everybody hunts, I feel like. I mean, I've grown I've always grown up with it since I was probably like four is when like I became aware of hunting. Cause, uh, me and my, my, one of my closest buddies, the first time we ever met each other, cause our parents were friends. We, I went to his house and he had, it was like big game hunter, 2005 or something like that on his <laughs> computer. And we just, we played that thing for like four hours while our parents hung out. And that was like the beginning of hunting. And my dad has always been into it and, uh, got my first bow when I was six. And the same day that I got it, so my birthday's in July, it was summer, uh, there was a chipmunk over by our garden, and I asked my dad, I was like, hey, dad, can I go shoot this thing? He's like, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> I pulled back, and I just domed this chipmunk at, like, it was probably, like, 15 yards, and somehow I hit it, and that was, like, the, 
that was like the turning point where I was, <laughs> I was like holding it up so proud, you know, I got this chipmunk guy went over, went over to my neighbor's house, Jerry and Karen, it was just an older couple. And I was like, look what I got. And she was, oh, congratulations. Here's a dollar. And then she gave me a dollar for every chipmunk I shot. So that whole summer, you know, I'm in the woods with my bow trying to shoot <laughs> chipmunks, like just all day, every day out at the farm at grandma and grandpa's farm. Didn't hit a single one after that. Then my next birthday got a BB gun. And that's when it was just game over for the chipmunks in, <laughs> in our yard. So I'd shoot like one or two a day, bring them over to Jerry and Karen's, get my payment. It was like a little business. Then I get $2 for a squirrel, $5 for a raccoon. And I shot like one raccoon, I think. So that's where it started. And then I always went on hunts, like duck hunts with my dad and uh, my uncles up until I could shoot. So Man. it's just been a, a lot of outdoors in my childhood. Dude, the, the whole BB gun thing. I mean, if that's not the best introduction into hunting, I don't know what is. Yeah. Unlike <laughs> you, I got in trouble for shooting animals with my BB gun. My parents were hunters, but I would shoot, I would shoot like songbirds and stuff, which I oh, mean, yep. big no-no, right? And yep. my mom would get so mad and she'd be like, are you guys shooting the birds again? And we're like, no. And she's got yeah. like a hundred bird feeders out in the back, you know, under every tree. And she'd like bring in a bird feeder and it would like the glass on it would be broken or there'd be BBs <laughs> like stuck in the pine. And I'm like, yeah, there's not really any way of getting around this. Like we've obviously been shooting birds, uh, but to get paid for it, man, I would, you, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd be, business. I'd be filthy rich right now. If I could get paid <laughs> for every bird or chipmunk I shot when I was a kid, that sounds like an awesome business. Yeah chipmunks ate their garden so she was like you just shoot as many as you want i was like all right let me have at it it was like Say three no acres more. of woods we had and i was just i'd grid that thing like all day so that's amazing that's, it's fun so that's how you got into it what does hunting look like for you now i mean like what are you most passionate about in the outdoor space uh, i guess it kind of it's mainly duck hunting now but once uh once high school started, well, actually, I should probably talk about before because ages 11 through 13 were like my golden years of hunting before this would have been like middle school. I shot my first deer with a slug because we're in a slug unit. So I shot a little button buck, super proud of that. And then the next spring, I shoot my first turkey with a shotgun. And then I was like, oh, dad, this is so awesome. Like, I can't wait to go. And then my uncle let me hunt his land that next year. So I got an actual bow that I could shoot deer and stuff with. And that year I shot um, a nice nine point and it scored like 126. And just with this, I mean, it was a crappy old bow. Like I pulled it back on this deer right before dark and the peep sight was like completely, you know, I couldn't see. And I had no idea that I could just like go like that with my nose and pump it. So I looked at the deer, I put my pin on it, and then I just put the put the peep over so it was dark and I just probably punched the crap out of the trigger and ended up getting a liver shot on it. So he ran, he ran pretty far, but we found him the next day. And that Dang. was like the the high point of my hunting career. I guess, yeah. And then that next spring I shot a double double beard turkey with my bow. So it was Dang, like man, this is like the oh, greatest middle school experience ever. Yeah. It was awesome. It was like, uh, we're in this ground blind, pull back on this turkey. That's right. We didn't know it was a double beard at this time. I, I'm aiming at its body, but I'm shooting through the mesh and my arrow hooks it and goes up and gets a headshot right on the turkey. So <laughs> it, that was just pure luck. And then it happened to be a double beard. And so that was, uh, that was like, wow, I'm not, not going to get any better than this. Yeah. And then football started. And then that was like, it was a complete shift. Like football just became my life for up until like two years ago. Cause I just wanted to play college ball, you know, go to the NFL, that type of stuff. Yeah, I told everybody in high school that I had a, I'd major in football when I went to college. So played, I played two years of college football, then decided like I could only hunt on Sundays. So duck hunt and 
it kind of just like lost my passion for it, I guess, football. Because in high school, you know, it's like small town, you're kind of the kind of the star. And I'm playing for playing for like the the hype, I guess. Yeah. Around it. So get to college. I'm not that guy. And then I started thinking like, why, why am I still playing it? And then it was, I wasn't playing it for myself. I realized I was playing it for other people, like my family and the people in my hometown and like that. And then that's when I decided I was like, you know, I just want to pursue hunting more. Cause that's like what I look for. I I'd play the game and instantly I'd be like ready to hunt Saturday or Sunday. That was through high school too, but yeah. Like me and my we get done with a football game, bomb out to my buddy's cabin, and it'd be like midnight because we just got home from an away game, sleep for three hours, and we'd wake up just like, oh yeah, you know, just <laughs> stiffer than heck, and walk out there, shoot some ducks, come back, and then do it Sunday, and then have football on Monday. Dang. So once I quit football, it was my junior season which was last year and i i wanted to i wanted to do it again because covid year was kind of weird we didn't get to play and i was like ah, maybe maybe once that we're back in it i'll like find the passion for it again yeah but after a couple of games i was like nah i just i missed duck opener for the first time in like probably 13 years and that just like that just killed me so <laughs> i was sitting there and i'm like all right if we if we lose, oh my God, if we lose this game, I think I'm going to, that's going to be my sign that we quit. And we're down by, down by three points, I think. There's like five seconds left in the game and we're on the one yard line or two yard line to win the game. And our quarterback throws a pick. So we lost. Dang. And like, I'm thinking, I'm like, all right, I guess you want me to still play, you know, because I'm thinking we're going to win this game. Like we'll run it in. And we ended up losing. And that was when I was like, okay, I'm going to pursue hunting now. Yeah. And this is like weeks I'm sitting there trying to go on back. You know, I'm I'm religious too. So I'm talking to God, like, what's what do you want for me like to pursue? And that's when I I stopped, bought my two-week North Dakota tag right after that, because it was uh fall break. And then I I probably hunted North Dakota for 10 out of those 14 days that you're able to hunt with my buddies who go to NDSU. Nice. So, yeah and then ever since then it's it's been the journey man that's that's sweet i i i liked playing sports throughout high school but i never like played for the teams right i would go and yep. do the intramural stuff and play mm -hmm. football and ultimate frisbee and basketball and i mean if it could be played i love playing it i've always been pretty athletic but mm -hmm. that is something that i just don't think i could do is like give up hunting to play a sport because i oh, no. i really do i love to compete i love to play sports but mm -hmm. i i tell <laughs> it's probably not a good thing to say in your interviews but like one of the most recent official jobs that i've had where i actually worked for a company mm -hmm. i started talking to the guy interviewing me and i kind of had an in there already so i knew i was going to get the job so we were just kind of bsing about hunting and i was like oh yeah man i always tell people like if if my job keeps me from being able to get out and hunt, like I'm going to find a new job. <laughs> and he yeah. just looked at me. He's like, that's about the most straightforward thing I've ever heard in an interview. And I was and you like, got well, the job though, right? yeah, I got the job, man. And it, luckily they were, it was a really awesome company to work for. So like we hunted all the time, we would go out to one of the owner's properties and we'd like go out and duck hunt or dove hunt at lunch. We'd go bass mm -hmm. fishing in the summer out at the ponds. I mean, we they'd be like oh yeah man go ahead head out there and we'd take like an hour and a half to two hour lunch break and all yeah. of us like 15 dudes would be out there fishing and catching who knows what so um yeah that was cool but to to actually have an obligation that was like nope you basically can't hunt at all this season yeah. i i couldn't do that for there's nothing in my life aside from family that i would completely give up hunting for like that so uh, I know that'd what you be mean. Tough. now I know what you mean yeah I mean having just lat even like half of last season to only focus on I mean focus on school but it wasn't it didn't take up that much of my time it was just 
like so eye-opening that I can actually hunt this much. Like I'm so used to just Saturday, Sunday, or even just Sunday. And now it's like, I can go during the, during the, during the week. And that's, it's one of my favorite ways to duck hunt that I don't think a lot of people do. It's, I just take my kayak, throw it on top of my car. There's a river, just a, a small river right outside of uh, Moorhead here. And I'll uh, drop my kayak off here at point A, drive to point B, which is only like a mile or two away. And then I, I have to have a, another person do this with me so that we can like drop my car off and then bring me back to point A. Yeah. And then float down the river, shoot my limit of wood ducks. Like there hasn't been a time I haven't shot my three wood ducks on this river. What? So it's like, I just float. It usually takes me like two or three hours to float. And then my car is already parked there at point B. Hop in the car, go back. And then I go to class at three o'clock or something like I'll, I'll, I'll do this at like 11 12 1 mid, midday when they're loafing there yeah it's it's so fun dude that's amazing i've seen the videos i see a lot of videos of guys uh cruising in canoes and kayaks down rivers like mm -hmm. that and they shoot geese and yeah. there was one video i watched they shot i don't remember i think there were three guys in between the three of them they shot like 11 banded geese like all of these geese on this river were all banded and i'm yeah. like you got to go look it up on youtube it was insane and i'm thinking dude i've got rivers right here in town that yeah. we do like a two or three hour float during the summer after work whatever and yeah. there's always geese there we'll kick up a wood duck and it'll fly like 400 yards and then we'll catch up to it and it'll kick up again and it's like yeah. we just play leapfrog with this wood duck all the way down the river and i'm yeah. like why don't we ever try this? Like we should actually bring the shotguns and hunt. You should. Yeah. You should. It's might, super good. I might have to start doing that. We always do like the boat thing. We get up super early. I mean, it's kind of a big event to go out and duck hunt or like we yeah. try to make it a big event on the weekends where we all get together and we go hit the lake and we get our decoys set up. And I like that side of it, but it would also be pretty great to just go float for a couple hours and shoot. If I could shoot three Drake wood ducks right now, oh, oh my gosh, yeah. I'd pay a lot of money to go and do that this afternoon. Mm -hmm. It's so awesome because you can, you'll um, like hug that little corner of the river and they'll sit under deadfall. So you can, you just watch them and the drakes stick out like a sore thumb. So they're swimming on the water and you grab your gun and you get ready. And as soon as they get up, like you just pick out your bird and three drakes almost every, unless you, a lot of times I've shot and then I've hit the drake and the hen just because they're pretty bundled. Oh, yeah. And it's like you could easily pick out three drakes and half the time I limit out and then I'm like, okay. And then I just try to paddle to get back to my car as quick as I can because I'm usually crunched for time for school because. Showing up to class covered in feathers yeah. and blood. Yeah. Face paint all up. <laughs> I did that one time, just one time. And it's like I walked in the class and everyone's like, what the <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Um, so, so you got into, well, you've been, you've been waterfowl hunting a bunch after college, after you got done playing football, did you pick up bow hunting again at that yeah. point? Yep. So I got a bow from my uncle graduate when I graduated from high school and I probably shot it like five times before that just you know just to shoot it and just because I never had time all I had time on the weekends was to duck hunt because that was my that was more of my passion and then this fall no not this fall last fall after I quit um Dan Staten elk shape yeah he did he did that little challenge in uh December like shooting your bow this this and this so I did that and I end up shooting my bow, you know, every day of December and it's freaking cold as hell up here. And like, <laughs> it was so terrible some days. And then I was like, well, let's, I might as well keep it up. Like I've seen a lot of improvement in this last, last month. So I've shot my bow I don't, almost every day since last December. Nice. Which has been, it's just something I, I do, you know, it's like something to get better at every day. Yeah. It's like, if you don't feel like you did anything, as long as I shot my bow, I feel like I improved at something that's important in my life. 
which I like. And then, then I was like, well, I might as well get my, try to get a North Dakota mule deer tag because I'm getting into bow hunting. So. So that's this year. I mean, you're going on your first Western big game hunt. Yep. First one doing it with your bow. How, how did you go about picking out? Cause this is really, I mean, a bulk of what we're going to talk about today is talking about your strategy, what your plan is for going after them, like not having done this before. Um, and so how did you go about picking out the area that you, that you wanted to hunt? So the last two years, uh, in the spring of my freshman year, so that would have been 2020, right when COVID hit, uh, I was super into shed hunting whitetails for the last, you know, four or five years in the spring with my buddies. He's got, we always say he's got the game farm because his dad manages it really well. So we shed hunt that. And then I was talking to some guy at college. He was like, oh yeah, I go out to Medora, which is just the town way West North Dakota. He's like, I just shed hunt the Badlands out there. And I was like, oh, that'd be, that'd be super cool. Like you find anything? He's like, yeah. Show me these pictures of the mule deer sheds he found. And it just, I was like, oh, dude, that'd be so sweet. Just hold a big mule, mule deer, you know, in my hand. So convinced two of my buddies to go out there with me and we drove, it was, it's only like a five hour drive from Fargo, drove out there and we're, we're on the valley. Like, okay, what do we do now? And we're driving around. We just see like three does in the ditch. I'm like, okay, there's deer here. Let's park. We parked walked around for probably hour and a half, two hours. Are you find anything? Nah, nah. And then on our way back, I found the first antler of the trip. Cause I, I glassed it up before and I was like, Oh no, that just looks like a stick. So I got to it and it was a nice four, nice four point. And we were, we were so excited, you know, and that was our strategy was just to, if there was deer in the ditch, there was antlers in the area, maybe. And yeah. we ended up finding, I think we found like 12 that trip. It was a three-day trip. And every spring since then, now we've gone out there and kind of, we've went to a different spot every time to see what kind of deer are in which places. And there's one spot that I walked that I found four nice, it was a big three point and then three uh, nice four points, all right sides. And we could not find the left sides to save our lives in this area. So I know there's at least, there's at least four out there that I would shoot for sure. So we're going to go to that spot this fall, me and my dad. Nice. And that's going to be his first Western hunt too, ever, which it's going to be, it's going to be exciting. But that was the main thing. It's like, I don't have time to scout in the summer just because it's a five hour drive out there. And gas is like four dollars a gallon right now so i don't really want to but that's that's kind of the plan we have like three or four spots marked that we're gonna go and talking to some other guys they say try to spot them early in the morning and then watch them bed and then make your stock on them yeah once they're bedded so that was the that's gonna be the strategy we're gonna use because navigating those those badlands is pretty difficult like if yeah. they're on the move, they're just going to go, whoop, whoop, you know? Well, and the terrain changes. It's amazing how quickly an animal can disappear, even yeah. in spots that look fairly flat. And then once you throw a topography in there, you'll be like, oh, I can see that entire hillside or that mountain over there. And then animals mm-hmm. just appear. It's like they just pop up they out do. of nowhere. And you're like, I've been looking at this for the last hour. Where did that yeah. come from? You know, yeah. and and so that's, that's going to be really cool and interesting because I haven't done the archery thing yet. And so, I mean, you know, if I get to like six, 700 yards, I feel pretty good on an animal. I can't imagine having to be inside of 50, 60 yards, yeah. you know, or whatever yeah. you're comfortable shooting. It's, it's also interesting to me watching guys like here in the Midwest, right? <coughs> Excuse me. Where they're like, even for me on a whitetail, I'll shoot like 40 yards with my bow yeah, on a white tail. And after that, I'm like, you know, I don't think I'll take it, take a poke unless it's a follow-up shot. You know, if I shoot one at 20 and it runs off to 50, you better believe I'm going to try to stick another one in it if it gives me an opportunity. But out there, I hear people, they're like, oh yeah, man, I shot my antelope at like 73 yards last year. And I'm like, 
an antelope what? you mean something the size of a golden retriever like you shot that at 73 yards with your bow that's that's a freakish feat it's in impressive. my mind yeah. yeah how do you do that and then you hear of people all the time they're like mm -hmm. yeah my effective range with my bow you know like on an elk is probably like 80 90 yards and i'm like you're like what you're, the? you're crazy but also yeah. it makes sense to have that in your arsenal to be able to shoot that far and accurate and obviously yeah. the vitals on an elk are like the size of the entire torso of a whitetail um <laughs> but to be able to do that then you don't have to close that last 50 60 yards mm -hmm. and that's that could be the difference between coming home with meat and not yeah. so and that could be the, the hardest part too is getting within that 40 to 50 yards yeah so I, I want to get a movable site right now. I'm just, I have the locked five pin, so I'm, I'm effective up to 60, but I don't, I don't know if I'd take a shot at 60 just cause in my backyard. So we have a little college house here in Moorhead. The farthest I can shoot is 50 and I'm like right on the edge of the road. So I'd have to go to the neighbors across the street and shoot <laughs> across the road, which is probably illegal. So I don't, I don't get much shots at 60, Yeah, but I mean, I feel like 50, 50 is a great range and, you know, you've got a lot of energy. You'll get a lot of penetration at that distance. And I mean, 50 yards, it, it's not going to be easy to get that close to an animal, but it's definitely doable. Uh, I, I love watching the spot and stock videos, you know, we've, we've done it, but it's definitely not, like I said, that final closing the distance we've done the spot and stock where we see it at like. 1500 yards and then we get down to 300 yards and then we yep. shoot an animal which is still a lot of fun but to put that last bit of effort into it or to play the wind and the topography just right where it's like dude you might not see the animal again from 120 yards out until you're like 15 yards it's bedded you're about to pop up over this knob and like have to draw and shoot quickly oh my gosh I'm yeah. I'm getting so amped up, like really excited <laughs> for you about oh, this. This is going to be amazing. So, yeah. aside from practicing with your bow, um, and then I know you said you had talked to several people about it. Um, mm -hmm. What what other information are you taking in to prepare or to figure out what kind of strategy you want to implement this fall? The the strategy. When I'm out there, I don't really have one yet. Actually, I probably won't even have one, but I'm doing like the doing I'm doing the Cameron Haynes thing before we start. Yeah. And I'm just gonna I'm gonna run every day before lift. And I I started this a couple of days ago. And I'm gonna be doing that just to be in shape. Cause when we're out there shed hunting, it's like you get pretty gassed, you know, walking up those little knobs and all that out there. So I just want to be the thing I'm going to do is just to be in the best shape possible for it. Yeah. Cause I know I'm confident with my bow. It's just, I want to be able to, I don't know if like if I'm mentally able to like, you know, keep going all day for four or five days, you know, just cause I've never done it. Yeah. And I know some guys do like those 10, uh, 14 day backcountry hunts. Like that's just crazy. I'm, I'm getting nervous for like a four day hunt where we're going to probably be in the car most of the time, you know, and then putting stocks on from there or a couple miles out maybe. So I'm just trying to be in the best shape possible for it. And hopefully my dad can keep up. He's 52. So Guys, I can't believe it, but we are one month away from season openers all across the country. And if you're like me, you're finalizing your gear list, getting last minute preparations set in place, and a few things that you cannot forget are a good rangefinder and a good set of binoculars. Or, best of both worlds, the two combined into one. Vortex offers their line of Fury binoculars with rangefinding capabilities and applied ballistics built right in. I'll have mine around my neck from the mountains of Utah to the north woods of Wisconsin in every trip in between. So if you're ready to get serious about your last minute prep to increase your odds this fall, check out what's new from Vortex at vortexoptics.com and head to your favorite Vortex dealer to make sure you're ready for everything fall can throw at you. Yeah, that... I mean, the adrenaline side of it 
definitely carries you a certain distance when you yep. when you see that animal and i mean i just know this from my few hunts that i've done out west or even here like turkey hunting one of the hardest hunts i've ever done was a turkey hunt here in missouri like i literally <laughs> crawled on my hands and knees for like 300 yards oh my god trying to get to this turkey and i'm like yeah the the initial excitement of like all right i'm going after this bird that got me like 50 yards and then for the next 250 i'm like is this going to happen i am pouring sweat i'm covered <laughs> in mud because it had just rained and i'm crawling and that's that's where you're going to really test yourself physically and mentally right. is that final little bit where maybe you do lose sight of the animal and you're like i don't even know if it's still there but i'm going to act like it is and it might take me an hour to get into position of where i think it is but it might be just gone or i might mm -hmm. i might miscalculate where it is and then i bump it and then i just blew the hunt but it's still exciting each encounter is going to be pretty amazing i feel like that's what i'm excited for is i just want to see what i can because you know i'm used to football like that that was like pushing my limits kind of and getting me out of my comfort zone i'm excited for this to be like the competition against myself is this western hunt this first one yeah mm -hmm. do you have have you set an expectation for what you're hoping to shoot or what you're willing to shoot it's i don't know because once i get out there i i don't know if, if i just see like a small buck if i'll get super amped you know and just want to take it but i've been i've been like back and forth on that you know because i want to obviously you want to get a decent size one because I've seen the deer out there that I could be able to shoot yeah. and it's, it's like, damn. So I don't know. I, I'm not going to shoot like a little spike or anything like that. I do want to get something that would at least like look respectable as a European mount, you know? Yeah. Even if it's a little three by three, but that's probably going to be my, my thing. First day, maybe not shoot a little three by three or a two by two, you know, but yeah, I, who knows? <laughs> my, my buddy, Sean, he got me into Western big game hunting. He always told me just break the seal. He's like, break the okay. seal. You know, like if, if you have an opportunity, like don't worry as much about the, the rack size. And I mean, yep. I still had my expectations going out to Colorado. I was like, man, I don't want to shoot like a spike or I don't want to shoot like just some raghorn three by three. And mm -hmm. now don't get me wrong at the end of the season, if it was last day, I would shoot whatever is legal. And yeah. there's a lot of people who, you know, say don't shoot something on the last day that you wouldn't, or don't pass something on the first day that you'd shoot on the last day. And I'm like, what are you talking about? That's called like evolving as a hunter. Like yeah. as you do this, if you're, if you're out West, if this isn't like a managed property, right. I'm, I'm not talking like whitetail. You're sitting in the tree stand opening day and a decent buck comes through, but you're really after a different one. Like, yeah, your, your expectations, your um, desire to shoot a certain class deer can change throughout the year, but out West, I mean, it's going to be you're like one chance every, every day. It's going to change for you, you know? Yeah. After, after maybe two days of no shot opportunities, you're going to start doubting and thinking like, dude, if I get that close to anything, it's going to die. And just feel, I mean, I would say just don't put too high of expectations on yourself, but also you want to shoot something that you're happy with. You yeah. know, you don't want to, mm -hmm. I don't at least ever want to regret taking the life of an animal and being like, I'm not proud of that. But also the meat is just as important to me as the rack is. Yep. When you can pair yeah, those two and get a lot of meat and an awesome rack, it's even better. So, <laughs> yep. and the thing that, um, so we're, it's only like a five hour drive from Fargo. So I know if I don't get one, this first kind of longer trip, I think we're going to go, I think we're going four days. So five days, but four full days of hunting. I know if I don't get one there, I have October and November to drive out there for like a weekend or something. Yeah. It'd be probably be by myself then or with a buddy. And so then I'm like, oh man, if I, you know, if I don't get one that first time, I still have a lot of a couple chances to go again. Yeah. Where it's not just like a 15 hour drive, you know, and that's my hunt. 
So struggling with that a little bit too. I don't know. Cause I, I would I, be proud of myself just to put a stock on an animal and, and, you know, be successful. Like, yeah. Just cause it'd be my first one ever. So I don't know. Well, and I think that's where, that's where my buddy Sean telling me that he's like the confidence that you have knowing that you can do it. Like mm -hmm. you can worry about size in the years to come. You can, yeah. you can worry about shooting a big six by six or something with back scratchers, you know? And he's like, but if you get that first one out of the way, you already in your mind are like, Hey, I've already done this. Like this isn't as hard as what I was thinking initially. Like I can do it again. And you're going to go into it with a mindset of like, yeah, it's going to take a lot of work. It's not going to be easy, but I can do it. Whereas every year you go without shooting one, you're almost teaching yourself defeat and like, Hey, this is way too hard. Like I'm not going to be able to do this. And so I was like, that's really interesting. Luckily, I mean, the first, the first elk that I actually had an opportunity at, I was happy taking either way. And I would still yeah. shoot that elk this year. Uh, yeah. And then the next year it was the same thing, but yeah, to be able to, to be able to go and do it is a feat in, on it in and of itself. And so yeah. that's going to be exciting, man. I can't wait to hear some more stories. We're going to have to do a follow-up podcast afterwards yeah. just to, yeah. just to hear how everything went. Hopefully it's good news after. Yeah. <laughs> if if uh you do get one this year i mean is this a spot you plan on going back to year after yeah. year do you think yeah i know i mean i know i'll probably go back and shed hunt it just because it's that it's like that middle where it's not insane western you know it's kind of like mini western i feel like i mean it's manageable where the 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 valleys and the peaks aren't they're really not that big, you know, compared to like Montana or Idaho or Wyoming. Yeah. And I, I found one elk shed out there. So it's like, I've got, Dang. I've got that bugs or that uh, itch scratched already from North Dakota. So it's like, I've got a lot of, got a lot of love for it. So I think I'll go back to, and it's, it's a cheap tag. So like anyone doesn't know it's 250 bucks to you know, go hunt mule deer and then you're guaranteed a whitetail archery tag out there. The it's just the all deer tag, which is mule deer and whitetail optional. That's the lottery. Nice. Yeah. Dude, that's yeah, I feel like that'd be a great hunt. And I, I never really thought about that having almost an an introduction state to Western hunting. You go to yeah. do something that's more physical than what you're used to, maybe say in Tennessee, but <laughs> it's less physical than if you're going and hiking the mountains of Idaho. Yeah. And so to, ha to put yourself in a fit, a more physical um, environment where it's going to require so much more of you, you're going to test yourself mentally, but maybe you're Ooh. not jumping in the deep end. You know, you're just, yeah. you're just hanging out in the kiddie pool while you learn to doggy paddle. And then maybe yep. years to come, you go and do a harder thing. I guess yeah. I never really, put that together that there's places like that where you can get kind of the feel of Western hunting, but not the full experience just yet. Yeah. And even South Dakota is kind of like that. I know a lot of people, a lot of people do focus more on South Dakota, but I just, I looked at the draws and it was way easier for me to draw a North Dakota one. So that's why I went there. And, uh, it's not super, it's not like back country out there. It's, I mean, most of the times when you're on top of these uh, little buttes, it's like you have cell reception and all this, all that comfort, you know, you're not too far away from civilization, I guess, even though yeah. North Dakota has like no people. So you really, you're pretty far away. From no matter a lot where of you are in North Dakota, you're away from civilization. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, I got two flat tires out there this spring and we survived. So. It's hey, not, it's not terrible backcountry. What, uh, what have you done different gear wise? You know, I mean, obviously going from duck hunting and whitetail hunting, there's a yeah. change of things that you're going to need or, uh, like a lot of people don't put in Wisconsin. When I grew up hunting there, we put a really high value on thick insulated boots. You didn't have to be able to hike all day in them. You know, mm -hmm. you just had to get to your tree stand or to the blind or to the bucket that you're going to sit on and yeah. that's it. And then they had to keep your feet warm while you're sitting there in, you know, two degree weather all yep. season long. 
but uh, obviously hiking around, putting stocks on animals, you're not going to be wearing those 1600 gram insulated nope. uh, Rockies. What, uh, yeah. what other gear have you had to adjust or purchase in order to get ready for this hunt? Uh, for sh- started with shed hunting out there, I had to get my first like good pair of boots. Um, so I got some crispy West river twos pretty sure got those for shed hunting. Cause, uh, the season before that I had these old, you know, Rocky boots, but they weren't the insulated ones. They were just like normal hunting boots. And it just shredded them. Like there was holes all in my boots, like the second day. And those boots were trashed after one shed hunting trip. So I got a decent pair of boots for that and they're holding up super well. I love them. And, uh, clothing wise, I'm keeping the, so I have a lot of sick gear. So I am keeping all my base layers from duck hunting, just like the wicking stuff, the lightweight hoodie and all that stuff. So I'll wear that even though it's not technically the right camo, you know, but got some, I think I'm good for clothing. No, got just a cheap pair of rain gear if it actually does end up raining out there which it hardly ever does and uh i was on i'm on the fence of if i need a spotting scope or not i just i can't get myself to buy it when when we were out there a lot of the deer that i spotted i could i spotted them pretty well with just binos because yeah. it's not you're not looking extremely far distances out there so i don't think i'm gonna get that um and then, uh, like pack wise, I, I got a new, uh, new pack, but it's kind of like a day pack. So I yeah. don't know if that's gonna, <laughs> I know, I, I know I could fit a, like a quarter in there from a deer, maybe two, but it's not a meat hauler. So my dad's got one of those, thank goodness. So I haven't, I don't have a meat hauling backpack yet. I'm going to see how this, the apex pack, the apex pack from Sitka, I'm going to see how that works for this, but Gear-wise, I, I might be a little underprepared just because I'm college and I'm broke as shit. <laughs> but, I mean, you've got if you've got boots, you've got binos. Like those are yeah. those are two major things when it comes to yeah. Western hunting. And I'd tell people that whether they're archery or or rifle hunting, mm-hmm. the pack I would say is probably next in line because you already have the clothing. Um if you have, if your dad has a meat hauler and if you had one, you guys could essentially get that whole deer out in one trip pretty yeah. easily. Whereas Definitely. if you don't, if you just have a small day pack, you know, you might have to make a second trip in there for yeah. it. And, and that's just part of it. Uh, the spotting scope though, I, I figured like the Dakotas, you'd probably need one for super long range. But if you said like you're spotting a lot of these deer, fairly close as long as you have good clear binos do you have a tripod for your binos at all nope dude i would highly recommend that i i listened to a meat eater episode years ago and i was like interesting yeah it makes sense like when you're just holding your binos it's kind of shaky it's kind of wobbly well i bought i don't remember what vortex spotter it was it was like the summit it was a real lightweight one collapsed down pretty Mm -hmm. small i mean to where it could fit in most pockets that a water bottle could fit in and and so i bought that and my first time sitting down behind that hooking up my binos to the tripod and just looking through it i'm like i feel like it went from 480p to hd that fast because i wasn't moving at all so like you could i could legitimately see songbirds flying around at like 700 yards and i was like this is a game changer, man. I wish I would have known about this earlier. So now my tripod goes with me everywhere. And for anything, I mean, really, unless you're trying to accurately judge an animal or get really clean video of it, you don't really need a spotter um, for anything that's going to be within sight like that. Uh, But what you could do also is get like the phone scope attachment. Yep. I got that for my binos and I got it for my spotter. And so now I can hook my phone up to it super easily, like clip it in. And then I can get that extra magnification just on my phone by like, you know, spreading my fingers on it. 
And so instead of having to get like a 60 or an 80 power spotting scope, I can use my 10 by 42 binos and then I can get an extra three times magnification. So now I'm actually up to like 30 and yeah. I can get a decent look at animals even with that. Mm -hmm. um, so something idea. to think about, you know, it's, yeah. it's going to be a lot cheaper than a spotting scope. No kidding. Well, then you have to buy a tripod for the spotting scope anyways. So it's, oh yeah, that's an extra expense on there. Well, like I, I can use, I've got a lot of spot. I've got a lot of tripods now, but I can interchange my spotter and my binos through them pretty easily. Yeah. Um, I got, I will say I I'm so happy. I got the razor HD spotter from Vortex mm -hmm. and it is unbelievable. Like it actually breaks apart. It breaks in half so that you can like stuff it into a smaller pocket instead of having this super long one. I haven't, yeah. I haven't used it out West yet, but I've been going out to my main hunting property here and mm -hmm. spotting whitetails, like just trying to do some observations and see what bucks are back. Yeah. And it's one of my new favorite things to just go and hang out at the edge of the bean field and get video of these bucks through my spotter. Yeah. I don't know. I could do that every night of the week. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Maybe it, maybe next year I'll get that. I'll get on that. Yeah. That's it. It's a good thing. I mean, I've seen so many people talk about how important spotters are just for every aspect of hunting. So yeah i mean they definitely change things up a lot once you get into that like hey this is exactly the type of animal i want to shoot you can save yourself from walking a half a mile yeah you know just by getting that extra magnification that clarity and so it's like mm -hmm. all of a sudden you see this buck you may be able to see it with your binos but you can't tell what it is and so you're like hey let's close the distance another 700 yards to get a better look to see if we even want to go after it well, with mm -hmm. the spotter, you can do that from the same spot that you're already at. Yeah. And so it helps, but definitely for your first hunt, I would say, see how it goes. You might get out there yeah. and be like, dude, I don't think I ever need to buy a spotter. Until mm -hmm. I go out to Idaho or Montana. The There's just something about it. And the nice thing about all of this gear is you can coordinate with the other people you hunt with. So that, yeah. you know, you're not all carrying a backcountry stove or like a jet boiler or a pocket rocket or anything like that. You don't all have to have a spotting scope. You don't all have to have a cook set. You don't all have to have a tent. You know, if you have one guy with a lightweight two man tent or a tarp, yeah. you can really coordinate so that everyone's not going in super heavy and you have one of everything instead of five of everything. Mm -hmm. I never thought of that either. Yeah. And I got to get my buddy. He's got a spotting scope. I got to get him to come out there with me. Or just, just borrow it, man. Four days, yeah. dude. He can he can live without that thing for four days. Yeah, he can. I can convince him. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's definitely helpful. Like even on the road, man, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Get get like a window mount. You can get the window mount that goes right on top, so you can actually spot mm -hmm. from inside the car, and yep. you know you kill the engine, so you don't get the vibration of it, and you can sit there in glass or video stuff. Um, but dude, once you're once you're putting that stock on, man. This is one piece of advice that I will tell you that I tell a lot of people that I talk to, probably everybody that are going out on their first hunt, mm -hmm. have your pack with you, like okay. always, because yep. you're going to get to a point where you're like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to be right back past this. I'm going to set my pack down like, so that I don't have, I don't have to worry about it. And if you've got a buddy right there, that's different. But if you set it down like mid stock, mm -hmm. you're going to, you could chase that animal for another 900 yards and then you're like crap where did i put my backpack or you get yeah. it down and then you're like dude i don't have any of my knives or game bags or literally <laughs> anything to take care of this animal now i have to go back find my pack come back retrieve the animal and it is easy man i've done it multiple times even with that mindset like don't leave your pack anywhere <laughs> i'll just set it down and then all of a sudden in the moment it's like oh crap dude there's an animal i gotta get closer and then I, yep. 30 minutes later, I realized I don't even have my pack. Like all I have is my rifle and hopefully I, I can get back and find it. So, yeah. And it's like a thousand yards away. Dude, it's, <laughs> it's easy, man. There's so much stuff and like, you're going to learn a ton and each yeah. year you're going to learn even more and more. And I'm That's excited to hear how it goes. 
Yeah. It's like every single year, no matter how good you think you are, it's like, you're going to be a student your whole life of the outdoors. Cause so much can, you know, change year to year. Oh yeah. yeah. So is it, is it just you and your dad that are doing this? It's going to be just me and my dad the first time. And then, uh, there's a, a buddy from Concordia where I go to school. He's from Germany and he's really good with camera and he wants to get into hunting. So I was like, Hey, if you want to come out here and, you know, do some film stuff for me while we're out here and you can kind of learn the ropes of this Western hunting, like he wants to do that. So that would be cool. And then getting him into duck hunting too. So nice. Thank goodness. Get some good footage, hopefully. Man, that, yeah, imagine a couple months from now, you, well, actually, when does your hunt start? September 15th, Dang, I think. So yeah, yeah you're a soon. month and a half away. Yeah, and we, uh, we were planning on going September 1st because they, they opened really early. So I could get a velvet meal deer if we did go early, but um, we're going to be going early goose hunting actually. So that, that weekend, so we bumped it back to the third weekend of september nice yeah. uh when you guys go out what are you doing as far as sleeping arrangements go are you doing a tent, tent or just hanging out in the truck are you just guys going to be like camping near the truck or are you guys going to go out and do spike camp uh well there's there's like three different little little campsites out there that have that you can just park at so i think we'll go out there and then just drive the spots maybe like a five, 10 minute drive from this, this campground, maybe 15 minute drive. Yeah. So we'll set up a tent there and yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a a little more comfortable than I think it is because it's like, we're really not like, you know, bombing out into the badlands and setting up camp at a random spot, building the fire. Like we're going to just go back to the campsite. Doing day, day hunts. Yeah. Yeah. Just cause the, the, the plots of land aren't really big enough I don't think to do that I mean there's some spots where they are but where, where we are it's there's a lot of ranches in between so it's like you can walk a good ways but then you gotta like you can't just like keep bombing in you know yeah yeah eventually yeah. you're gonna run into the border and it's not yep. like it's not gonna take you five days to do that <laughs> yeah I mean, that's kind of cool though. I, I feel like that will work in your favor to have, you know, smaller chunks that you can break apart because it can be very intimidating when you go out to these places that are Mm -hmm. literally a million acre unit and you're like, I can literally hunt anywhere and there's not a house in sight. It's like, where do I go? But it, since you're going to be kind of isolated and, and find that, Hey, I have to stick within, you know, this half mile or, you know, even yeah. 40,000 acres, like staying within that, it's not, Hey, what's that? Like way over there, five miles away on the horizon. Like maybe we should go check that area out. You know, yeah. you can, you can kind of hone in a lot quicker. Is it this is. chunk of public a good spot? Are there deer here? Have we seen anything? If not, let's bump over to a new one and come back later yeah. on. Mm-hmm. And it's nice in North Dakota. If, if land isn't posted out there, it's open to the hunters. Oh, sweet. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people used to like ask the owner, but just out of courtesy. But technically, if it's not posted anywhere, you can like it's open to hunting and you can corner cross on the public lands in there in North Dakota. Oh, sweet. So that Dang, opens North up Dakota a lot sounds there. awesome. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Besides it, you know, being North Dakota, <laughs> it's just super good for hunting. Uh, do you know? I guess I have, I've never really looked into the mule deer rut is when does the rut hit in North Dakota for muleys? I think that's late. I think it's in November. Oh, okay. During, I think it's during rifle season actually. Okay. Which kind of stinks, but we get a ton of opportunity before the rifle season starts. Well, and it might be, it might be great because like the big mature bucks that everybody wants to go after you know, they're, they might not be surrounded by a bunch of does. And so you might only be putting a stock on one good mule deer instead of walking into like 12 sets of eyes and ears and noses. And it might work to your advantage early season. 
to be able to go and do that. And I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming mule deer bucks also have their like bachelor groups that they hang out in probably leading up to leading up to the rut. So you might run into a little bit of that, but at least then you can see like the bachelor groups. That's my favorite thing. The fact that like bucks all year until it's time to breed, just hang out with the other dudes like yeah. I'm like that is so I I find it very comical and when you get out there and you can see that then you can actually compare and say hey this is really the average class like if I want to go for a three by three or a four by four or bigger like I'm seeing a lot of small deer but there's plenty yeah. that are that size I think I could still make it happen on a big one yeah mm-hmm. I'm excited that's super, that's super exciting, man. I can't wait, like I said, to hear how it all pans out for you. And I wanted, I definitely want to get out and do an archery hunt out West soon. And so yeah. I might just live, live vicariously through you this year and I'll keep right. you updated too. Cause I'll be about that same time. I'll be in Utah helping my friend Linnea on an archery hunt. And so elk uh, or mule deer, mule deer. Nice. So yeah, same deal, totally different terrain, probably. Yeah. Um, but we'll keep in touch and see how that goes. Uh, before we hop off the call, I do want to give you a chance to share with everybody where they can find you, how they can follow along and keep up with how your hunt's going. Yeah, I'm super uh, active on Instagram. So it's just Zach Schrader, or it's Zach, Z-A-C-H-S, and then Schrader, because Zach Schrader was taken. So I just add an extra S in front of that. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I tried being active on TikTok for a little bit, but then a bunch of my, like they kind of, just banned a lot of the stuff, you know, if there's a dead animal or a mount or so I kind of stopped with TikTok. I know you're super active on it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely have to navigate the guidelines, the community guidelines and restrictions. I, I posted a video and I don't know if I've said this on this podcast, but there was, there's a guy named famous, famous fisherman. His name is Dan. He's from Florida and he posts all the time. He's, he's always on live out fishing in his kayak. Well, he did this duet of a guy who is like playing a comb on his teeth, like making a sound with it. And so then Dan, uh, the music like behind it, he had his fishing pole and he was like playing the bass with his fishing pole. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, sweet. And there were chimes in it. So I grabbed two rifle shells and I start clinking them together like to the beat. And so we're all playing like these unconventional instruments and pretending that we're making the music. And they kicked me off for that because I had empty rifle casings Yeah, and I was clanging them together and I'm like, all right, this is getting obnoxious. And so I navigate it pretty well now. I just don't have any weapons or dead animals in it and it's still fun content to make, but it's unfortunate that we have to do that. Yeah, it is. So I, I I've stick to Instagram, but it is fun making those little like comedy skits on reels. I love it. Oh yeah. I do I do a lot of those and then try to share try to share my hunts and what I'm doing outdoors and just yeah my life nice well yeah hopefully people will go and check that out I'll be following along for sure and uh like I said we'll hop back on I want to hear how it goes yeah uh and maybe we can even get an update in between seasons if you don't tag out on that first week Mm -hmm. all right yeah that'd be awesome thanks for having me today Yeah, thanks a lot, man. And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. I really enjoyed that. And I've got to tell you guys something. I feel so blessed and so honored to be able to do this. Like the fact that I can hang out and talk with fellow hunters and outdoorsmen and women all across the country that people want to take time out of their day to listen to the podcast or to join me as a guest the interactions that I have on social media and online with people from all around the world, really, um, about their history. Like, I get pictures from people all the time. They're like, hey, check this out. And that interaction is awesome. I've enjoyed, really enjoyed building these relationships with all of you guys. And so feel free, if, if you're someone who's been listening to this for a long time, reach out and maybe we can get you on the podcast. I... I just like connecting with other people. And so thank you guys for the support. Thank you guys for listening and taking the time out of your day for this to be a part of your life. And uh, yeah, I guess that's enough of that. We got lots coming up. I will be this time next week in Utah 
on an archery hunt. I will have a new duck dog, which I'm really excited about. Well, a new future duck dog, if that makes sense. I'm getting a puppy. It will not be trained yet. But lots of changes going on in my life. And uh, yeah, we're going to hit the road here in like an hour. So thanks for listening. And until next time, get out there and chase new adventure. <laughs>